All who handle the oar are the mariners, all the pilots of the sea, will come down from their ships and stand on the shore. They will make their voice heard because of you. They will cry bitterly and cast dust on their heads. They will roll about in ashes. They will shave themselves completely bald because of you, gird themselves with sackcloth and weep for you with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. We'll conclude our reading at this point. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 27, verse 31. You've been listening to a serialized reading of the Bible, the American Patriots Bible, with episodes presented every morning at 8.15 on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. The following program is intended for listeners who are blind, have low vision, or have another print disability, which makes reading, holding a book, or turning a page difficult or impossible. The content is copyrighted by the respective publishers. For more information, please visit us on the web at nfradioreading.org. Good morning. I will be reading a series of articles from The Challenger from the issue dated May 11, 2023. The first article is entitled, Sharpton Puts McDonald's Corporation on Notice Over Racial Discrimination Practices, and we quote, you cannot sell black folks Big Macs and give us little justice. Reverend Al Sharpton, founder and president of the National Action Network, NAN, recently sent a letter to McDonald's Corporation to finally address the multiple accusations of racial discrimination by the company. Coming out of the 2023 NAN annual convention held in New York City, Reverend Sharpton said the national organization would mobilize to demand action against the fast food giant unless it meaningfully rectified these long-standing issues. We find it appalling and inexcusable that McDonald's Corporation has not satisfied its differences within with the black community, said Reverend Al Sharpton. There are lawsuits brought by black franchises, another brought by a black former executive over racial discrimination from the highest levels. And let's not forget the $10 billion lawsuit brought by Byron Allen over the fact that black-owned media did not get its fair share of McDonald's supersized advertising budget. We are also outraged at the removal of John Rogers, a well-respected business leader for the black community from the board of directors. We unequivocally demand they immediately acknowledge and address these issues, or we will begin a national campaign around McDonald's. Twenty twenty three election update. Holloway pledges to serve a full term if elected elect district council members calls on his opponents in the race to join him. Cedric Holloway, who is currently campaigning for the Ellicott District Council seat, recently pledged to serve a full term if elected, and he called on his opponents to join him in the in committing not to seek other offices if they are successful in the race. 
I am campaigning to represent the residents of Ellicott District and have no plans to run for another position, said Holloway, candidate for the Ellicott District Council. The hardworking men and women in our community need a representative on the Common Council who is fo focused exclusively on their needs, not plotting their next career step. If I have the honor of being elected, I pledge to serve a full term in office. The residents of Elcott deserve nothing less. Holloway, who, has been, who was born and raised in Elcott and who spent much of his 30-year career as a Buffalo police officer working the neighborhoods of the district, called on other candidates for the seat to make the same pledge. This should not be a heavy lift, noted Holloway. <clears throat> we are asking our community to put their trust in us with their vote, and the least that we can do is to commit to serving a full term in the job we are seeking. Synonym, synonym is dangerous to, to democracy. Citizens become disengaged when they feel that politics is just another game played by the elite. I want to assure the residents of Elcott that if I am elected, I will dedicate my full attention to the issues facing our community, improving basic services like public safety, trash pickup, and beautifying our neighborhoods, potholes, and snow removal. We are also going to see unprecedented levels of public investment in the next several years including $331 million in, Ameri in American Rescue Plan funds, <clears throat> $50 million for homeowners and small business owners pledged by Governor Hochul. The public needs to know that their council members are going to be watching how the money is spent and pushing to ensure that those funds directly improve the lives of the residents of East Buffalo. Cedric M. Holloway was born and raised on Johnson Street in the Elcott District. He is the proud son of well-known community warriors, the late Johnny B. Wiley and Lavina Holloway. Cedric remains a lifelong resident of Elcott and will be on the ballot for the June 27, 2023 primary. Black History, the Elaine Massacre. One of the worst race massacres in the U.S. was in Elaine, Arkansas, September 30th, October 2nd, 1919. Black sharecroppers realized that they had been cheated by, folk, by local white planters to create some form of protection for themselves and to achieve fair wages, they unionized and formed a local chapter of the Progressive Farmers and Household Union of America, the black farmers met regularly at churches and pooled their money in hopes to rise, rise enough to hire a lawyer who would represent them against the white landowners who kept them in debt and declined to give accounting particulars. That dynamic where black sharecroppers could have gained financial independence created a panic among white plantation owners. Rumors spread that the blacks were planning an insurrection. For days, mobs of white men slaughtered at least 200 black farmers and their families with the assistance from about 500 troops called on by Arkansas Governor Charles Brow. 
Some scholars estimate the number of dead to be closer to 800. Five white men were killed as well. The violence raged for a week. During the massacre, Arkansas Leroy Johnston, who had spent nine months recovering in a hospital from injuries he suffered in the trenches of, the Fran of France in World War II, was pulled from a train shortly after returning home and was shot to death alongside his three brothers. In the aftermath of the riot, 285 black people were arrested, and the Phillips County Grand Jury charged 122 black people with crimes ranging from night riding to murder. The first 12 men tried were convicted of murder and sentenced to death by electric chair. No jail, no new jail community forum. Erie County leadership is proposing to build a new jail, and we want to hear what the community thinks. A uh, no new jail community forum will be held on Thursday, May 11th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. at the Merriweather Library, 1324 Jefferson Avenue. Register at bit.ly backslash no new jail. The event is being organized by Halt, Halt, Halt Solidarity, Black Love Resist in the Rust, Jails Justice Network, National Lawyers Guild of Buffalo, Partnership for the Public Good, Prisoners Are People Too, Pushing Latinos Forward, Safe Home Reentry, Voice, Buffalo, P Buffalo and Peace Center. Please remove those boulders from our beloved park. In 1868, after having designed Central Park in, in New York City, famous architect Frederick Law Umstead and his business partner Calvert Vox were invited to Buffalo to discuss designing a park here. Instead of designing one park like they did in New York City, the architects wound up designing six city parks. The park, later renamed Delaware Park, Front Park, Par Parade Park, later renamed Humboldt, and finally Dr. MLK Park, Casanova Park, South Park, and Riverside Park. They also went on to design seven parkways, nine landscape circles, and several public squares, Lafayette Square and, and Niagara Square among them. The park I am writing about now is Parade Humboldt MLK Park. The park was designed in 1873 and was redesigned in 1896 to include three ponds, a flower pond, a nature pond, and the world-famous wading pond that was billed as the largest wading pool in the United States of America. In the late 1940s and early 1950s, Decisions were made to take portions of Humboldt Parkway and create an expressway to provide easy access and departures from, from the city of Buffalo at a time when folks, largely white folks, were still working in the city but were building homes in the suburbs, outer areas to avoid dealing with the fast integrated neighborhoods. The city fathers made one of the most anti-Buffalo decisions in history in the history of this region since Buffalo was incorporated in 1832. They voted to destroy a beautiful, perfectly designed park. 
to construct a road or expressway down the middle of it. And now, here we are today with those charged with managing the Parade Humboldt MLK Park, making the decision to desecrate Frederick Law Olmsted's beautiful park by placing hideous, dangerous boulders or rocks around the perimeter of the whole park. There have been car parking on the grass in other Olmsted Conservancy parks as well, but none of them have been met with the indignities that we who participate in festivals in MLK Park are being afforded by having to climb over or walk around dangerous protruding boulders to enjoy the park. With one of the largest African-American holidays, Juneteenth, several weeks away, what a shock this community is facing as we wonder how the Juneteenth Festival and other community activities can be all that it can be with rocks, boulders, and other implements standing in or blocking our way. The next article is entitled, I Was In That Store. The guy shot at me twice, and I just don't understand how the survivors never get mentioned like we don't matter. It was an unexpected phone call a few hours after our May 4th issue was released on the stands last Thursday that ignited even deeper thought into those affected by the May 14th massacre. The caller was extremely frustrated and, by the sound of his voice, quite hurt and upset. He started with a question, let me ask you something. Why is it that whenever people talk about the Tops massacre, they never say anything about the survivors? Crying, his voice cracking with pain, he continued, it's always the same thing. No mention of the survivors. We were affected by what happened, too and we feel like nobody cares. I mean, not even the challenger, he continued tearfully. I was in that store. That guy shot at me twice, and I just don't understand how the survivors never get mentioned like we don't matter. In a compassionate and apologetic effort, I tried to assure the caller that we absolutely cared, as do many others in the community. In a mass shooting with so many lives lost, however, the primary focus is on the victims. But there is no less compassion for the survivors. After hanging up, I realized that despite our coverage on survivors who came to us with their stories and our writers who produced stories on their experience, the truth is survivors of the actual attack, either in the parking lot or in the store, who are blessed to make it out alive are also burdened with an uphill battle of healing. That topped with the feeling like nobody cares, that nobody acknowledges your pain, that you are second tier for support and overlooked just adds to the trauma. What can we do as a community to extend the kind of support to survivors that will help them on their healing journey? How can we change the narrative of showing our care, love, and support so that they can feel, trust, and, and use it to continue on to heal and to move forward. Our talented correspondent activist, Miles Cowder, has not Our talented correspondent activist, Miles Cowder, has not only written articles over the past year about the plight of the survivors and their struggles. 
He also serves as an advocate for them and, uh, and any others who may need help. In the cover story this week, 514, Forgotten Survivors, he does a follow-up with four survivors who, at the end of the article, share a list of seven demands in their quest for accountability and transparency. Perhaps acting on those demands could be a start. Leah Hamilton. 514, The Forgotten Survivors by Miles Carter. Buffalo Strong is the message, but Keisha Douglas... Tahisha Stewart, Brooklyn Hugh, Brooklyn Hugh, and Robia Gary can't help but feel as though Buffalo has left them to struggle and fend for themselves. May 14th marks the anniversary of the tragic racist massacre that occurred at the Tops on Jefferson, nestled in the east side of Buffalo, a predominantly black community, and many of the survivors from that tragic day feel forgotten. Peyton Gendron is the man responsible for the heinous act killing 10 people and leaving hundreds more with physical, mental, and emotional trauma. Gendron received a life sentence. The funeral expenses for the deceased were covered and tops reopened just 60 days after the attack. This weekend, there will be events lined up, speeches will be given, prayers will be said, songs will sing. We will sit in the reflection of poets and spoken words that will remind us of the tragic day that our community lost so much. Buffalo Strong is a message, but Keisha Douglas, Tahisha Stewart, Brooklyn Hugh, and Roby Gary can't help but feel as though Buffalo has left them struggling to fend for themselves. Keisha, a strong black mother with adult ch children, was gainfully employed on Mar May 14, 2022. She was at Tops just buying some juice, as she tells it, the moment that Gendron walked in to wreak havoc. Sparing us the details, the point that she wants to drive home is, I lost something that day. I'm not the same woman I was when I walked into Tops. Keisha tried to go back to work on Monday following the attack. She was sent home and hasn't been able to return since. She's been in mental health counseling weekly following 514 and still struggles with the trauma that she witnessed that day. Keisha applied for victim services support through the Erie County District Attorney's Office the same week she came out of work. It wasn't until 60 days later that she received a letter from the office stating that she had to apply for disability through New York State, a lengthy and arduous process. After going back and forth with the DA's office at day 90 from her application, she received a letter stating that she had to now apply for unemployment. She called her employer and they let her know that if she applied that they wouldn't fight it and that she was able to collect unemployment for 26 weeks at the calculated rate, which is 60% of your income. That since has expired and she has been left to struggle with the immense financial and emotional struggle that is rooted in 514. Brooklyn, who was a TOPS employee on 514, has returned to work at several different jobs since. Struggling with childcare for her younger children, she plans to quit her retail job to take care of her baby, 
who was just an infant last year. Workin's compensation wasn't a viable option for her because she wanted to maintain her own therapist. She speaks on Black Love Resists in the Rust being the only organization that has consistently provided support when she was in need, stating that no other organization stepped in to provide any type of financial assistance outside of a couple gift cards and a bus card that she had to pl that she had to plan to pick up herself. Robaya was in tops with her 14-year-old daughter on 514 doing some shopping. Her daughter's life was turned upside down, her grades struggling as she deals with the intense fallout of PTSD. She doesn't leave the house anymore unless her son is with her. She's depleted most of her sa savings just trying to stay afloat. She recounts her dream of opening her own elder care facility and reflects on how far off it is now that she has left to aid her daughter and herself in their road to recovery. Robia hasn't worked since 514, and she faces the same struggles as Keisha in Brooklyn, left with no assistance and feeling forgotten. Tahisha was 18 on May 14th. He was sitting on some grocery carts in the front vestibule of the store, waiting for his friend to get off work. He saw Gendron when he walked in, and he saw one of the ten victims killed in front of his eyes. He took off running, wound up barefoot, ran through the back door, and all the way home, cutting his feet on broken glass and jagged rocks behind the store. He's gone back to work at a few different jobs since then, working to help support his family, but nothing consistent. Tahisha, Brooklyn, Robia, and Keisha make up only a few of the many survivors and victims of 514. They aren't looking for sympathy. They're pushing for accountability and transparency, among other things. Altogether, 6452355000 was raised for the 514 Survivor Fund. Managed by the Compassion Fund, each of them fell into Category D, which, based on the tiered system, left them with 9500 each out of 169 applicants. They received an advance of 3500 in August and received the remaining six grand in October when applications closed and the fund was distributed. Already behind and out of work with no services kicking in, most of the money was spent before it was even received. Rabia explains that she received an extra two grand because, of the, because the gunman actually put the barrel of the hot gun to her forehead, leaving a scar that's still visible today. To date, the Compassion Fund has raised another $6.2 million, which they have committed to over 80 organizations to help rebuild the East Side. Of the millions committed by the federal government and the over $12 million raised by the Compassion Fund, it's hard to understand why those directly impacted by the racial attack are struggling to make ends meet while trying to focus on their mental health. Keisha... Tahisha, Brooklyn, and Rabia meet regularly for support among each other. Their demands are simple, and they say it resonates with many of the survivors who are still struggling to regain themselves. Number one, acknowledgement that we exist. 
financial, mental health support to cover insurance gaps, financial direct support for survivors, remote job opportunities, transparency with victims service funding, reimbursement for purchases made on 514, support and self-defense training. If you or someone you know is a victim or survivor from 514 and want to be heard, you can contact Buffalo Victims at gmail.com. Health Matters. Black Lives, Black Lungs. Pastor George Nichols, CEO of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, led an important community conversation March 30th at Lincoln Memorial UMC about the governor's proposal to ban menthol cigarettes in the state. One of the most impactful issues affecting the health of African Americans, he pointed out, is menthol is menthol cigarettes. It is estimated that smoking-related diseases kill 45,000 blacks in this country every year, the primary culprit being menthol cigarettes, which is 85% of black smokers, which is 85% of what black smokers prefer. National Nurse Week, May 6th through the 12th. Tiffany Anderson, President of Buffalo Black Nurses, is 2023 Nurse of Distinction nominee. Tiffany Anderson's MSRN, Director of Home-Based Care Services at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, is a 2023 Nurse of Distinction nominee. The prestigious designation was made during National Nurses Week, May 6th through the 12th, and appeared in Western New York Nurses, a supplement of the Professional Nurses Association of Western New York, on May 7th, Sunday, Buffalo News. A senior leading nurse with Roswell, the accomplished Miss Anderson is also the president of Buffalo Black Nurses, Inc., whose mission is to promote diversity in nursing careers and leadership development, education, and empower in empowering our community to reduce health care disparities. The outstanding organization's value statements reads, in part, we are committed to enhancing the underrepresented nurse experience through continued professional development, mentorship, scholarship, and community service. For more information about Buffalo Black Nurse Inc., call 716-650-0202 or visit buffaloblacknurses.org. An intentional future for the East Side, rebuilding a strong, more inclusive Buffalo after racial injustice by LaVon Ansari, Ph.D., and Thomas Buford, Jr. As we look back on all that the East Side and Buffalo have gone through in the past year, we are so grateful to all the community members who have shared their unique and individual experience of bringing, being affected by May 14th. To serve as co-chairs of the Buffalo Together Community Response Fund and be part of building an intentional way forward for the east side 
is a role that we don't take lightly. We, along with the Buffalo Together Community Response Fund Steering Committee, are committed to centering your voices as we continue our work. If 514 did anything, it gave us a sense of urgency, but also showed us we need to be deliberate in our action because the force pushing against us are deliberate and intentional, and they have a long history of structural and institutional advantage on their side. The work ahead is not simple, and the Buffalo Together Community Response Fund is focused on a long-term solution, but it is clear that we can't just spend our way out of this situation. We cannot keep throwing money at the same infrastructure with the same roadblocks and the same mindset and expect a different outcome for the east side. With that in mind, we sought additional funding outside the Buffalo Together Community Response Fund to hire Rainbow Research, a black-led national organization with ties to Buffalo, to lead a process that is rooted in listening and learning first. At the end of 2023, they will deliver to us a community investment strategy that will build on current community assets and lay out best practices to take our community from surviving to thriving. Know this too, the thriving east side we envisioned cannot exist unless long-term residents are part of the future growth and development. We must continue to work together in this historic moment to remove structural barriers to allow our community to flourish and create lasting change. Standing Strong in a few days, African Americans from all over the city of Buffalo will come together in remembrance of the May 14, 2022 massacre. This Mother's Day will mark the first anniversary of the, trage the tragedy that will forever change the east side of Buffalo, a tragedy that seems to be an everyday event throughout the nation of mass shootings. The weekend will host many events celebrating the lives of our 10 fallen relatives, friends, and loved ones, and the three survivors of gunshot wounds. But the question remains, what about the other survivors that we represent, the ones who continue to suffer the invisible scars of that day, having the power that be, have the powers that be forgotten them, or continue to make false promises? The following program is intended for listeners who are blind, have low vision, or another print disability that makes reading, holding a book, or turning a page difficult or impossible. The content is copyrighted by the respective publishers. For more information, please visit us on the web at nfradioreading.org. Your Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service now presents a reading of articles and features from the Buffalo News for today. Friday, May 19th, 2023. Your readers today are... J.J. Patek. And Don Williams. Leading off with the weather today, it says breezy this morning. I'm looking out the window and seeing the trees being kind of buffeted about, so I guess yeah. it really is breezy. Yeah, a little bit breezy. Sun rose at 849, sorry, 549, and uh, the moon just a few minutes earlier. The sun sets tonight. 
at 8.35, and the moon will set just a few minutes after that. And um, we have rain forecast for tomorrow. Actually, there's some talk 